are in a series this month, and it is called Believe. We're doing it the whole month of December, and uh, uh, leading up until Christmas. And as, as Kellen just said, Pastor Bones kicked us off last week, and, and I get the wonderful privilege of, uh, of taking us into Christmas, starting with today. And I'm really excited to be bringing the word to you this morning. Are you glad to be in church this morning? Amen, amen. Well, first service was really excited, so you guys got to really live up to it. I need you to talk back to me today. Not like talk back, like disagree, but talk back like, yeah, you're doing great, Pastor Reagan. So uh, make sure you're doing that today, please. That helps me too. So uh, I know you've been standing already, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. I'm going to read the, the, my text verse for this morning. I just want to stand in honor of reading the Word of God. And uh, in this series, talking about believe, uh, this, this verse in John 20 is going to be where I'm catapulting off of this morning. It's in verse 27. And it says, Then he, this is Jesus speaking, said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. The title of my message today is Believing is Seeing. Would you pray with me as we just commit this time to the Lord? Father God, we love you today. Thank you that we can come together and just have a good time in church, but come together and worship you. We're coming together corporately to honor you, to lift you high. God, I pray today that you would be glorified and that you would be honored through everything that we do today. Lord, I ask that as I, I bring the word, that your words would pierce our hearts with your love. And God, I pray that, uh, that you would do the work that you have set out to do in each one of us today. I thank you that no one is here today by accident, but it's all ordained because of you and your love for each one of us. I pray that, uh, that the rest of this service would be blessed for your glory, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Before you're seated, high five somebody and say, believing is seeing. And if you're standing next to my son Noah and he high-fived you, I'm sorry, because he likes to see if he can hurt everybody he high-fives. So, <laughs> so uh, the, the premise of this series that we're doing on Believe is based on uh, the idea that what we believe determines all of our pursuits in life. Everything that we uh, do, everything that we pursue in life is, is a direct reflection of what we believe. It, it, when it comes to who you're going to marry to what kind of job you're going to pursue, the career you're going to pursue, uh, to what you're going to spend your money on is a big one, uh, what you're going to do with your time, who you're going to be in relationship with. It is all based on what we believe about that situation in our life. Every single thing we do is based on what we believe. In fact, Robert Oxton Bolton was quoted as saying, belief is not an idea that the mind possesses, it's an idea that possesses the mind. And I love that because, you know, the, the belief we have is not just some thought in our head. It is actually what drives us in our life. And I can illustrate it very easily. Do we have any Black Friday shoppers in here that did Black Friday shopping this year? Don't worry, I'm not going to roast you if you put your hand up. So I know some of you do it. And I know some of you, you know, it's not actually, yeah, my mother-in-law's over there waving both hands. I know you went. And uh, I, we are, uh, for those of you that went, you did it because you believe something. You believed that by going and shopping in the middle of the night that you were going to save some money on a gift for somebody in your life, right? That's, that's the reason people go and do Black Friday shopping because they believe that they're going to save some money. Well, those of us that didn't go, we didn't go because we also believe something. We believe that those of you that went need psychiatric help. <laughs> I can't imagine any scenario where I would want to go at two in the morning to Target. Never, ever, ever. I'd rather lose the money, frankly. But, 
Um, no, you don't need psychiatric help. Some people just like the adventure. I get it. Uh, you know, I was even thinking, like, when it comes to, like, your doctor, you're going to go to a doctor. The doctor you choose that you're going to go to, when, especially when something's wrong, you're going because you believe that that doctor can help you, right? That's why we go and do the things we do. And, I, and you know, these things are trivial, um, but what we really want to get to you this month when we talk about belief is talking about the fact that what we believe about God determines our pursuit of God in every aspect. What you believe, if you want to figure out why you're doing what you're doing in your relationship with God, it will always reflect back to what you believe about your God. And it's so important that we understand the importance of our belief system and how we believe in God. You know, belief in God is becoming more and more ambiguous in our society today. I, I did some research this week, and there was a Pew Research study from two years ago where they researched and they did a poll on who, how many Americans believe in God. And the poll said that 90% of Americans believe in it some form of a higher power. That's a lot of people. But you and I both know that 90% of the United States is not born-again Christians, right? It actually said that only 80% of Americans believe in an actual God. Uh, that, that other 10% believes in some form of a higher power, but not necessarily a God. And only 56% of Americans actually believe in the God of the Bible. And I would even say of, of those 56% of Americans that believe in the God of the Bible, that a lot of them believe in him as a kind of an overriding umbrella or, or idea or concept, but not necessarily, they don't necessarily believe it's strong enough to actually live their life based on the Bible. So, so the belief in God is becoming a very ambiguous term in our society. And, you know, our society would say that seeing is believing. My, the title of my sermon today is purposely backwards. It's purposely believing is seeing because that is how God wants us to approach our life. He wants us to believe before we see in a lot of situations, especially in our relationship with him. And the world would say, you need to see before you believe. And, you know, the Pharisees, in Jesus' time, when Jesus was walking the earth, the Pharisees lined up with what our culture says today. They, wanted, they came to Jesus and said, if you really are the Messiah, then we want you to perform a miracle right here in front of us. They said, basically, they said, we'll believe it if we see it, which is funny because they'd seen miracles that Jesus had already done. Their heart was not to really believe. They were just trying to trip him up somehow. And Jesus actually rebuked them, and he told them that they were wicked because of what they were asking for. And when I think about believing and seeing in the order and how that works in our life, especially in our relationship with the Lord, I think about Thomas. Because, you know, Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples, got to walk with him, got to see all that he did. And then when Jesus died on the cross and was in the tomb, the disciples were very despondent. Well, then in John 20, we see where Jesus was actually resurrected. And he revealed himself to some of the disciples and, and, and a few other people as well. And these people, these disciples came to Thomas and said, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's risen. And Thomas makes this comment. He says, I will not believe it unless I can see it. He said, I want to see the nail prints in his hands. I want to put my hand in his side where that spear was thrust into him. And when I see that, I'll believe it. Well, about a week later, it says the disciples were in a room. The door was locked, but somehow Jesus still appeared in that room. And Jesus went to Thomas and he said, Thomas, go ahead, put your hands in my hands and put your hand in my side and see. He said, stop doubting and believe. That was my text verse for the day. And Thomas, immediately when he saw that, his immediate response was, my Lord and my God. He had this wonderful privilege of being able to see it before he believed it. 
And Jesus allowed him to see it because he knew Thomas's heart. He didn't allow the Pharisees to see it because he knew their heart too. And, and look at the very next verse in that chapter, in John 20, verse 29. Look what Jesus said. It says, then Jesus told him, he's talking to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus gave Thomas a very unique gift in that moment. He said, go ahead, Thomas, you can see. But then Jesus, knowing that he was going to be going back to heaven, followed that up by giving us a mandate for the rest of time before he comes back the second time. This is for you and me. He said, blessed are those of you who believe and have not seen. Because you know what? We don't get to see the, the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. We don't get to see those visibly with our eyes. So we have to believe before we can see. But the beauty of it is, in our faith walk, is that when we do believe, we start to see God in everything, don't we? We start to see him in, in nature. We start to see him in our relationships. We start to see him in, in the, th- the miracles that happen in this world. We think, praise God. Praise God for that. The more we grow in believing in God, the more we see that he is involved in every aspect of our lives. And he's so, so good. And he's such a wonderful father. But we have to believe before we're going to see. And, you know, believing affects what we do. Pastor Bowen shared last week that, you know, belief is much more than just a mental thought that we have. It's not just a a thought in our head like, yeah, I believe that. To believe something, it really has to cost you something. Because you don't really know what you believe until it gets to that place where it's going to cost you. You know, Pastor shared about the, the guy that walked the high wire across Niagara Falls. You know, before he walked, the, the big crowd gathered and he, he addressed the crowd and he said, do you guys believe that I can walk across this wire? And everybody, yes, of course, we're cheering for him. You know, they just want him to go do it. They're so excited. He says, well, do you believe that I can push a wheelbarrow across this high wire across Niagara Falls? Yes, we believe it. The crowd was going crazy and cheering for him. He said, okay, good. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And not one hand went up. It's such a great illustration because they didn't really believe it. They didn't have to believe it because if he fell, it didn't cost them anything. Their belief didn't cost them a thing. But when, it, when the rubber met the road and they realized, okay, if I really do believe this, then I've got to stand behind it. You know, and I'm not talking about the trivial things in life that we might believe you know, that, that, that don't cost us anything. You, know, you, you may still believe the world is flat and it's not going to cost you anything to believe that. It, probably keep you from buying a cruise ticket. Um, some of you will get that on the way home, but or you might believe we never landed on the moon. You know, if you don't believe that, fine. I, I'd like to talk to you because I got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you, but it doesn't really cost you anything to not believe that. I'm talking about a belief in God and believing in God, church, has to cost us something. If we really say that we believe him, I believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world. And I bet a lot of you believe that too. I believe he's the only hope of the world. But if I say I believe that, then my life better back that up. Because I believe he's the only hope of the world, I have made sacrifices in my life to live my life in such a way that would help expand the kingdom of God. I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I gave up a pretty successful business to do what I'm doing today because I believe it enough. I believe that God called me into ministry, so I said, okay, I'm willing to, to stand on that belief and I'm willing to make sacrifices to do it. That's what belief looks like. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe that this is, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that it is truth. Amen? A lot of us believe that, don't we? Okay, but let me tell you something. If you say you believe it and you're amening, your life better back it up. 
We can't say that we believe this is the word of God, but then we, we don't open it or we don't crack it open except on Sunday mornings. You don't really believe it then. Because if you did, you'd be in it. If you did, this becomes a standard for life. If you believe it. You don't get your standards from the world, from the media, from Hollywood, from your uncle, from your aunt, from your cousin. You get it from this. This, If you really do believe it. Now, I, I believe it. And I'm in it every day. Because I, I believe it has the keys to life for me. And anything I'm dealing with, I believe that I can find the answers in this word. It will determine our path for our life. Because what you believe will be confirmed by what you do. What you do, how you live your life, is confirming of what you believe in every way. Um, it's not enough to say that we believe in God. It has to cost us something. It has to, it has to affect our life. And you don't have to take my word for it, because I'm going to read out of the book of James. He was the brother of Jesus, and he's got a book, short book in the New Testament that if there is a hard-heading guy in the New Testament, it was James. And uh, if you don't want to hear hard truth, you definitely want to skip over that book. But uh, I love it. I read it a couple times a year. And, and in James 2, I'm going to read a, a lengthy passage out of it. Verses 18 to 24, and then verse 26. It says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, which is another way of saying what he believed, and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now here's the point. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now James here is telling us that what we believe determines what we do. What we believe is confirmed by our actions. Abraham, he's using the, the point of Abraham. Abraham was promised that he was going to have a son and he was going to be the father of a great nation, which is still here today. And when he was finally given that son, God says, now I want you to go sacrifice him on, on an altar. And Abraham was willing to do it because he believed God. His belief in God, his actions were proved by his belief in God. And that was when God said, you're righteous. That's when he called him a friend because he knew that he, he, he really believed what he said that he believed. And that's what God wants for each one of us. Now, I know this, this passage, this can really, uh, it's caused some confusion. It's caused uh, a lot of Christians to really struggle with, with faith in God and, and how that works with our, with our works. Because, first of all, we know we're not saved by our works, right? We are saved very clearly, according to Scripture, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing else will save us. Your works will never, ever save you. We will never be good enough. Uh, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Like, there's no way we could be good enough for salvation. But then James goes on to say, well, that salvation without works... That's, that's, it's not working. He's not saying that because you're saved now, you have to do all these good deeds. He's saying because you're saved, you will do these good deeds because these deeds confirm the fact that you are saved. They confirm it. And he's not saying like, you know, your faith without works is anemic or it's going to be less fruitful or it's going to be a struggle. He says it is dead. It's dead. 
So for us to say that we have faith and we believe in Jesus as the Son of God and as our Savior, there better be works to follow it up, not to get you saved, but to prove your salvation. And we as believers have to take inventory of our life every once in a while and think, okay, are my actions in my life, are the things I spend my life doing, the energy I put into my life, is it reflecting the fact that I say that I'm saved? Is it reflecting it? Because if it's not, we have to refocus. We have to figure it out. Because I'm telling you, one of the, the, the biggest ways that God uses the church is to help to win the lost that are in the world. The people in your circle of influence are watching you. They're watching us. And God, God would say to us that if you're going to invoke my name and say that you are a follower of Jesus, your life better back it up. Because there's people that don't know Jesus that are watching you. And if they see that you're not living any different than they are, they're going to say, well, why do I need Jesus? You're no better than me. I see you doing all these things, you know, just because you go to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're any better than me. And it doesn't. It's about your life backing up what you say that you believe. We have to constantly be taking inventory of our life. You know, I could say that I believe in tithing and that I believe in generosity and I believe in sowing and reaping. I could say all those things, but if you look at my checking account and all my money's going to Amazon and Target and Kroger and paying my bills, then I don't really believe it. I mean, it's just a fact that just doesn't lie because if I really believe that I'm going to reap what I sow and the Bible tells that if I sow generosity, I'm going to reap generosity, then I would do it. And my checking account would reflect that, right? We as a church, we're always challenging you guys to be generous. We want you to be generous to the church and your giving because we believe it's not that the church needs the money. It's because we believe that when you sow generously, you will also reap generously. We believe that uh, structurally as a church, but we also believe that for us as individuals. And so sometimes it might be good for us to print out six months of bank statements and just go through it and, th- and look at it and say, hmm, I thought I believed in generosity, but I'm not reflecting it. And, and so that we can tweak and make those adjustments that we need to make in our life. That's why we gave you guys air fresheners today. I mean, who's ever got a better gift than, a, than an air freshener for their car? So does this mean that we don't doubt? Does this mean that we don't have any struggles in our life, in our thoughts, and, and how we approach our faith? Of course not. Doubt is something that we will always deal with, but for some reason in the church, we don't like to talk about it because it makes us sound weak, right? Well, I'm, I want to... I think I'm going to set some of you free today because I know that a lot of us, sometimes we think that doubt is the unpardonable sin, you know, or it's the highest treason that we can commit spiritually by saying that we're having doubts, that we're struggling in our faith. Let me tell you something. It is not the unpardonable sin, okay? It's not horrible when we're struggling with doubt. We all do it, every single one of us, and we need to be okay to be able to, to be real with ourselves and know that we're struggling and God's not mad at us because we're having a struggle of doubt in our life, okay? God's grace is there for us in every situation. Oswald Chambers said that doubt isn't always a sign that man is wrong. Sometimes it's just a sign that he's thinking. And it's good when we're thinking, right? It's okay to be dealing with that. I, when I think about doubt, my favorite person in the Bible, bar none, is John the Baptist. You know, he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Jesus' own words to, about John the Baptist was that there was no man born of a woman that was greater than him. That's a pretty great claim that Jesus made about him, isn't it? He literally got to baptize Jesus. The Bible says that he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. And then to cap it off, he gets to hear the audible voice of God coming from heaven saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. 
I'd say that would pretty much knock out the doubt, right? But lo and behold, he gets unjustly imprisoned later, and he's struggling with doubt. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, Jesus, are you really the Messiah, or should we look for somebody else? What? Do you remember what you saw? He had the audacity to ask Jesus if he was really the Messiah? And if John can struggle without like that, I think we're okay too. Okay? Now, it's not that we embrace it. What we need to do is allow our doubt to draw us closer to God, not draw us away from him. Okay? Our doubt has to draw him closer. John took the initiative when he was doubting to send his disciples to Jesus to get confirmation. That's what we need to do. When we're doubting, we need to go to Jesus to get our confirmation. Not listening to everybody else under the sun that would, that would be sowers of dissension in our thought life. But to really let our doubts draw us to Jesus. Uh, Charles Swindoll said that it is the right of every believer to go through the halls of doubt on their way to the rooms of truth. I love it. Love it. You know what a hall is designed for? It's designed to get you from room to room. You know, I don't know about you guys, but we don't hang out in the hall in our house. Not enough room. If you put a couch in there, you couldn't get past it. The hall is to get you from one place to another. And in those hallways, we'll experience doubt in our lives. But the, the hallway of doubt is always meant to lead us to rooms of truth. I love that. That's one of, the, one of the best things I've read in a long time. And, you know, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. You know, if we're struggling with doubt, that's one thing. But if we're in unbelief, that's a whole other thing. That's what the Pharisees were when they went to Jesus and said, give us a miraculous sign. They didn't want a sign. They were in unbelief. A sign wouldn't have changed anything in their mind. You see, doubt is looking for the light, and unbelief is perfectly content in the darkness. Doubt's looking for the light. Unbelief is content in the darkness. Doubt is struggling to believe. Unbelief doesn't want to believe. So if you're dealing with unbelief, you don't even want to believe. You're just, you're done with it. You're not even looking for it. Doubt is at least searching. We're walking through the hall. We're at least searching. And if we're searching, God will meet us in that place. He will show us. He will reveal himself to us. But the thing about doubt is that it, is, it can be very dangerous in our life if we don't use that doubt to draw us to him. And there are traps in our life where we can get stuck in that doubt. And I, I want to, as I uh, get into the, the meat of this message, I want to give you three traps that feed doubt. Because I think these are things we really need to watch out for and look for to make sure we're not allowing doubt to completely push out the belief in our life. Belief should be pushing the doubt out of our life. Amen? So the first trap that feeds doubt is disappointment with God. Anyone ever had this? Don't raise your hand. Uh, you don't have to. Every one of us. If you've served Jesus for more than a few months, you've, you've dealt with some disappointment because we are human beings and not everything goes the way we always want them to go, right? And it's, it's almost impossible to not ever get disappointed. I know I personally, I hear it all the time. I hear about disappointment with God all the time. And I, I've dealt with it too. I think we've all dealt with it. But the thing is, we have to be very careful because this is a very toxic trap in our journey of faith. It's very, very toxic, and it will overwhelm and overcome you and, and cause you to, to be completely unproductive in your life and not growing in your belief in God at all. You know, a lot of you, as soon as I mentioned disappointment with God, you were able to go to a place in your mind where you're disappointed with him now, where you're struggling now, or you have in the past, where you believed him for something, 
You know, you stood in faith, you prayed for something, whether it had to do with a, a relationship issue that you were believing God for, if it was a, a job you were believing for that you just knew God wanted you to have and you prayed for it, or if it was a financial situation that you really needed God to bail you out of or, or help you in a situation financially, and you prayed and you fasted and you did everything right. You opened every door for every old lady walking into a building because you just wanted to make sure you didn't miss anything and you were even nice to your in-laws. I mean, you did everything right. And it just didn't happen the way you thought it should happen. We've all, every one of us, has been there. And I'm telling you today, it's not, it's not a sin to be disappointed with God. But it is a sin if we stay in that place of disappointment. I, I'll just be transparent with you guys this morning. I, I've had my own struggle. I, I've been dealing with migraine headaches since I was in middle school. Started getting them, hereditary. My grandmother got them, my mom got them. And... The worst thing she passed on to me was migraine headaches. And when I was in middle school, I'd get them, and I'd have to go to school, and they were debilitating, and I mean, just misery. If you get migraines, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there wasn't good medicine back then, and you just pretty much had to sleep it off, and it was just, if I woke up and had one, I just knew that day was going to be really rough, and some days I couldn't even get up. And uh, I have, in my life, I have seen people miraculously healed from migraine headaches, I mean, seen it, and I've heard people talk about how they've been healed of migraines, and, and I even one time prayed for a friend of mine that had a migraine, one of the most powerful moments in my life, actually. I prayed for her, I laid hands on her, and I prayed for her, and her headache was gone immediately, and it was one of those situations where I, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen before I even prayed. It was, it was during the season of my life where God was just really meeting me in powerful ways. And I was able to pray for this person, and she was completely healed instantaneously. I saw it with my own two eyes. And here I am, still dealing with the debilitating migraines at times. Now, praise God, there's, there's much better medicine today than there was back then. But I have asked God over and over. I have been prayed for more times than I can count, that God would just deliver me, and I wouldn't have to deal with it ever again. And to this day, I have not seen that manifestation in my life. But I determined a long time ago that I was not going to allow that to cause me to stay in disappointment with God and to, to cause me to doubt God or to affect my belief in him in any way. Because I may not understand it, but I don't have to understand it to know that he's always faithful. That in the midst of my situation, he's always faithful. Because it doesn't look the way I want it to look, doesn't change who he is. And you know, when we're singing songs today, we sang a song and it said, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And I know for some of you, you may be singing that and thinking, I, I kind of believe it, but man, I, that situation really is just kind of ringing in my ears. And I think he's faithful, but I'm just, mm, I'm struggling. And you're disappointed when you start talking about God and, and, and your life, and you can start fixating on those areas where he didn't come through for you rather than fixating on the areas where he did come through for you, right? The fact, how we feel does not change the fact that he is faithful and that he is good. And he is a father that loves you, and he has not forsaken you. He's there with you. You are his child, and he would, he's moved heaven and earth to be with you. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of get up in your grills a little bit this morning out of love, because I think this is something for us as, as followers of Jesus that we have to get a handle on in our life, that we have to get to where, where we're not thinking that because I can't discern a good reason why God didn't move in this situation, that that gives me the right to doubt him or to stay in that place of disappointment. We've got to get away from feeling, thinking that. 
because his ways are so, so much higher than our ways. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And if we don't understand, we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay and not let it affect who he is. Because who, our, our faith and our belief in God cannot be determined by what he does for us. It's determined by who he is. And he's good. And he's faithful. And we have to get away from, from uh, using our own reason to try to understand a situation that doesn't make sense to us. We have to get away from that. In fact, the Bible's very, very clear that we walk by faith and not by sight. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not. I'm going to amplify it and say unequivocally, without question, never, 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 ever lean on your own understanding. Even if, it does, even if it seems like what you were praying lined up with his word. Oh God, I'm, what I prayed lined up with this and it still didn't happen. You must not be faithful. It's not true. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's, that he's not who he says he is. He is who he says he is. And we can stand on that and trust in that in our life. And we cannot allow disappointment to, to continue to build in our life. Because you see, here's the thing that's working against us a lot of times. We live in an on-demand culture right now, don't we? Man, everything's on demand. Now, now Disney came up with their own. You can watch any Disney thing you want, anytime, 24-7, as long as you've got an internet connection. How great is that? I mean, I couldn't care less, but for a lot of people, they love it. You know, Apple TV's got their own streaming now. You've got Netflix, Hulu. I mean, it's just everything is instant. When you want it, it's there. When you go to your computer, if that circle spins in your computer for more than 20 seconds, you're Xing out. Something's wrong. You know, you... I, I'm to the point where if I leave my phone on my desk and I go do something for 20 minutes, I feel guilty. How crazy is that? Like, we have to have access to everybody all the time. You know, you text somebody and they haven't responded in 60 seconds, you're like calling 911, something's wrong. They're bleeding out on the floor. They have to be. They haven't responded. And we can, we can approach our relationship with God that way. Like, God, you're not responding. Like, like I've I, I prayed three times and you still haven't responded. And God's saying, I don't have a cell phone. I don't work like that. We have to be able to trust him when we don't see him doing what we want to do. Have to be able to do that. Don't allow that disappointment to settle in to your soul to where you're walking around frustrated with God because it's not working out the way you thought it would. He is who he is according to the word of God, not based on what we think about him. We cannot base our, base our belief in him on what he has or hasn't done for us. It's based on who he is. The second one, the second trap we can fall into is, I just can't feel him. That could be a trap in our life. I just don't feel him. He seems so distant. We've all been there too. If you follow, if you serve Jesus, you're going to go through times where he feels like he's out there in the cosmos somewhere and he's not right here with you. You know, no, we all love to sense his presence in our life, don't we? Love it. I love sensing that he's with me and having those times where I've actually felt him, whether it's in worship or whether it's in, in the privacy of my own prayer closet, just feeling it and knowing, not having to force myself to believe it, but actually being able to feel it. And you get the goosebumps and you start crying in worship and you're just like, man, God is in this place today and it feels good and mm, I'm loving it. And those, things are, those times are wonderful. It's the best part about being Pentecostal. Amen? Because we believe in the presence of God. In fact, I was back there in the sound booth yesterday. We had that kids movie we played yesterday for, the, for New Hope Kids. And I was back there 
I was just doing the, the computer and projecting the movie, so I was just sitting back there kind of watching. It was an animated movie. It's called The Star about the animal's journey to get to the manger where Jesus was being born. And at the, at the very end, it climaxes with Jesus being born in this manger. And it's this animated movie, and it, the donkey is talking, and nothing even, you know, it's very little reality to it. But I saw this manger, and she had the baby, and he was put in the manger. I'm back there bawling my head off. And I was so thankful I was the only one in that sound booth. You know, I could fake it for a little bit, but, but I, was just, I was just overwhelmed with, wow, he really did come to this earth as a little baby to come and pay the debt that I couldn't pay. I, just, I was overwhelmed. I was like, God, this is, I love this. Let's just stay here. Let's replay it. You know? Let's go back 40, 45 seconds and play it again. You know? And those moments are wonderful. But listen, church, our belief and our trust in God cannot hinge on whether or not we feel him in a moment. Okay, we have those moments and I believe God is in those moments, but it can't if we go through a season where we're not feeling it and our our emotions aren't getting stirred. It doesn't make him any less real. It doesn't make his word any less true. He is who he is. And we have to be able to trust that he is who he is. I I mentioned earlier, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says we live by faith and not by sight. And I don't think I'm doing too much violence to the scripture to say we live by faith and not by feeling. We live by faith in him. The day's coming, church, when we're going to be with him, that we won't have to worry about any of that. But while we're on this earth, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be times he feels like he's right here standing next to you, and there's going to be times you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and he's nowhere to be found, and he's way too busy for you. But that's not true. We can never let our emotions lead us because our emotions will lie to us. Your feelings are very unstable in, in how it relates to your relationship with Jesus. Those cannot be our guide. In fact, our feelings have to submit to God, even in our life. Because some of us would say, well, I can't help how I feel. You know, the world says you can't help how you feel. Well, I believe you can. I believe you can. Now, it doesn't mean like every feeling you have has to be like exactly God-inspired. I'm not saying that. There's times that we have, that we have feelings that come and hit us that that are not necessarily in line with God, we, we take those as they come. But as far as living our life, how we feel, we can tell our, our, our soul how to feel. Because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I struggled with this verse for a while, because I thought he was saying, if you're one of those people that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, man, you're one of the lucky ones. You're really blessed. It's almost like a congratulations to those of you that do. That's not what he's saying at all. The Sermon on the Mount was an instructional sermon. He was giving us, he was giving us nuggets for life. And he's saying, listen, if you want to be filled, then you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you can do it. It's up to you whether or not you will do it. Your feelings will follow what you purpose in your heart that you're going to do. They will follow it. But too many times we get caught following our feelings. And I feel this way, so eh, I'm struggling today. We can absolutely tell our feelings to follow us. Look at, look at Paul in Romans 8, verses 5 to 6. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We determine where we set our minds, church. We determine it. 
It's not our minds that gets to control us. We get to determine what we're going to set our minds on. And we can purpose in our heart to set our mind on the Holy Spirit. We can do that. And what we spend our time thinking about, what we set our mind on, is actually, it actually feeds that feeling, right? Some of you in this place probably struggle with fear. That may be a struggle of yours, whether it's whatever kind of fear, anxiety it is. What makes that fear worse in your life? Thinking about it. Meditating on it. Thinking of all the ways that something could go wrong. And it just, next thing you know, you got yourself worked up into a tizzy sometimes. Because you're, you're, you're contemplating it, you're, you're thinking on it, you're, you're allowing that to, to germinate and breed and grow in your mind because you're thinking about it and obsessing about it in some cases. So it's, it works the same way with the things of God. If we determine we're going to set our minds on the things of God, then we can know that our belief will follow that. That, that the, uh, the doubt will be pushed out because we are determined we're setting our minds on the things of God. Now that doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that thoughts don't come in that aren't of God, that our feelings sometimes will, will get in the way. We just can't stay in that place. You know, I was telling the first service this morning, we came in, the LED wall wasn't working, the projector in the back wasn't working, and it was getting closer to the first service, and I was not setting my mind on the things of the Spirit at that moment. In fact, I, went, I was back in my office, and Joy came in, and she's like, hey, I want to pray for you. And she took one look at me and goes, whoa, what's wrong? She said, are you frustrated? I said, yes. My hair was on fire. I was so ticked off about all of it. You know, it wasn't that bad, but it was just like, we got that video we want to play today. It's got to work, you know? And Joy's like, well, let's pray. She prays for us, and ta-da, it's working. So it was all joy. Good for her, right? Just kidding. We, we did some rebooting too. But, but like in, in, that, in that moment, my mind was not set on things of the Spirit. But you know what? I refocused it quickly. We went to the Lord, and we prayed and refocused. And whether it would have worked today or not, we were going to be okay. But we, can, we got to purpose that in our heart. And, you know, New Year's is coming up. It's only a few weeks away already, 2020. It's a great time for New Year's resolutions. I, I want to challenge us as a church to make a New Year's resolution this year. We're going to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We're going to purpose in our heart. We've got to put energy towards it to do it. Because if you're really going to live that out, you've got to do it every day. And some days you've got to do it every few hours. But we can do it. Let's set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not worry about whether or not we feel God close to us because He's there. Amen? All right, and the last one, and i got to hurry. The last trap we can fall into is a lack of desperation. You know, part of the reason our culture is struggling to believe in God is because we are so blessed as a nation. You know, if you look at the history of the, uh, of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, you see that you know, God blessed them. He called them his own, and he blessed them, and they, they served him for a while, and then they'd, they'd fall off. They'd serve other gods and walk away from God, and then all of a sudden they'd be enslaved and imprisoned or in exile, and they'd cry out to God and ask for forgiveness, and God would hear their prayers and bless them again. And they'd go for a little bit, and the same thing would happen. I mean, it's just, it's almost laughable. It's such a perpetual cycle in their history of them being blessed and kind of turning away from God because they were blessed. Well, you know, that's what we're dealing with here in the United States. We're such a blessed nation that as a society, there's not a desperation for God. Because, you know, in a lot of ways, we've kind of figured most things out. It's hard to tell somebody that doesn't feel like they need Jesus today that they really need Jesus. Because they're like, well, I mean, I kind of got it figured out. You know, if I get sick, I go to the doctor. I work. I get my paycheck. I got my bills paid. What do I need Jesus for? There's, there's, not, a, there's not always an understanding of the, this incredible need for him because we are so blessed. 
And I think even in the church, guys, we deal with it because we are so blessed. There's a lack of desperation on our part. Like we want him for our salvation because we know, we understand the word that we are sinners. And the only way we're getting saved is by grace through him. So we want that. But to really have that desperation where we're like, God, I need you for the air I breathe. I need you for my heart to beat. I need you for everything in my life. It's not going to happen without you. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always feel that. Like there's not always that desperation. And if we don't have that desperation, what happens is we, our faith, our belief in God can erode over time because we get more dependent on the things that we can do to figure things out rather than being dependent on him. If I'm honest, when it comes to migraine headaches now, most times instead of praying, if I get a migraine, I go take my medicine. I'm just being honest because we have these outlets now. So it's easy for us to just depend on these things and not be desperate for God. It's interesting that the gospel is thriving in places like Africa, Central America, Southeast Asia. The fastest growing church in the world right now is China. The most oppressed people against the gospel is the one where it's growing the most. You don't think there's desperation there for God? And consequently, the places where the gospel is sputtering a little more, if I can use that term, is United States, Canada, Western Europe, Australia, the most blessed places financially, fiscally in the world. It's really interesting. That's not a coincidence. It's the fact that we don't have a desperation for God because of the fact that we are so blessed. But what that does is that breeds doubt in our life because it's like, well, you're not seeing, you're not, you're not depending on him as much, so you're not giving him credit for as much either because you don't have that desperation. And you know, I'm here to tell you today, church, I want to be desperate for God so badly. I want to be desperate. I believe you do too. I want to be desperate for him. And I'm willing to pray that scary prayer that says, God, if you got to to do whatever you got to do in my life to make me desperate, you go ahead and do it. Because I don't want to ever think that I can get through this life without you. You know, uh, I was saying in the first service, in this culture, you know, persecution of the church is, it's definitely growing a little bit, but it's still nothing compared to so many places around the world where if you go to a Christian church on Sunday, you're taking your life in your hands, right? But we are seeing it a little bit, whereas the society used to just be like kind of ambivalent towards the church. Now there's an aggression against the church, in our, even in our society. We're seeing it, and we're being persecuted a little more. And you know what I'm saying to God? If it's going to take persecution for the church to rise up and have a desperation for God, I say bring it. I say bring it. I, and I know that's scary as all get out because... For me to be persecuted is one thing. If my kids are being persecuted, that's another thing. And that, that terrifies me to think about that. But you know what? I want us to have a desperation for God because there are way too many people in this country that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and the church is not doing enough about it because we're not desperate enough. And so if we got to pray that God brings persecution so that we can be desperate for him, I say so be it. Because you can't deny the facts that where the church is persecuted, it actually grows. And I want to have that deep, deep dependence on him to where I know that I need him for everything in my life. There's a, there's a story in Mark where a man brought his boy to the disciples because he had a, his son was demon-possessed. He was foaming at the mouth and his teeth were gnashing, and the disciples couldn't drive the demon out, and so they brought him to Jesus. And the, the, the man comes to Jesus and said, can you help me? And uh, Jesus said, if you can help me, he says, anything is possible for those who believe. It was Pastor Bowen's text verse last week. 
And I love, love, love what the man said right after that. I'm going to read it. It's in Mark 9, verse 24. He says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is a man that's desperate. His son is literally laying on the ground, foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth. And he's desperate. He's saying, Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Like he's just being completely transparent. Like, yeah, I got some unbelief, but I want you to help me in it. I don't want it anymore. Do whatever you got to do. I want, I want to believe. But he's at a place of desperation because of that son. Now, I pray that God doesn't get us to that place where we have a, a need like that before we're desperate. But whatever he's got to do. You know, I've told this story before, but when, when Noah was just like three or four years old, we went to Taylor's soccer game, and uh, he was there with us, and after the game, it was over in Blanchard Park, and after the game, we were standing there talking to some people, and next thing I know, he's gone. Noah vanished, and we could see 360 degrees, 200 yards every direction, and he was nowhere. And if you've ever lost a child, you know what I'm saying, it is the most terrifying feeling you could ever have in your life. And you don't even want to know where your mind goes and what you're thinking, and it's just horrible. And at that moment, nothing else mattered in life. Nothing. It didn't matter how much money was in my checking account. It didn't matter what kind of car I drove. It didn't matter what kind of clothes I wore. It didn't matter where I lived. It didn't matter what I was having for dinner. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Everything was on hold until we found that lost boy. And you know, the whole thing lasted probably three, four minutes. Felt like it was an eternity. But all of a sudden, here comes one of the other dads with Noah in tow and Said, yeah, we got out to the car and Noah was with us. We figured you probably want him back. <laughs> Noah didn't know anything happened, you know. But I mean, you know, we lost five years off of our life. But that's the, that, that desperation that I felt there. Like, that's not the kind of desperation you want. But that's, I want to have that desperation for God that, God, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. If you're not involved, I don't even want to be part of it. I need you for everything. The Bible says that in him we live and move and have our being. And I want to really believe that, not just say it on a Sunday morning. Amen? And I believe you guys do too. We have to be desperate for God because if we're not, doubt will creep in and cause us to struggle with our belief in him. Okay, well, my time is up, so I'm going to close. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me so I, uh, so I stop. But in closing, I don't want anybody, nobody to leave yet, please. Just going to take a couple more minutes. If you want to grow in your belief of God, it's up to you. It's up to you. I want to ask you today, are you willing to pray a scary prayer? Say, God, do what you have to do to make me desperate for you. You know, if our faith that we say we have, if it's not scaring us at times, then we're kind of missing the mark. There should be times in our faith walk where we're making decisions that kind of scare us. Because we're, get, we're, we're making decisions where it's basically like, God, if you don't do it, if you don't show up in this moment, I'm going to be in trouble. We need to have those times in our life. I remember um, when, when Joy and I still had our business, and we were at a place, you know, if you have a business, you know it's feast or famine. You know you have these ups where you think you're going to be a millionaire, and then you have the downs where you think you're going to be eating out of a trash can. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place, you know? And we were in one of these moments where we were struggling a little, and we were praying, crying out to God, and we felt God challenge us to give away a pretty large sum of money. And we were terrified to do it. And I tried to talk myself out of it. And I'm so thankful that God gave me a godly wife that wouldn't let me because we took the, the plunge and we did it. And God blessed us in a way that I can't, even, I can't even put into words. I can't even really describe it because most of it doesn't even make sense. 
But we were terrified when we did that. But man, God will have us do that because what that did in that moment, it grew our faith. It, it, it caused our belief in him to grow. And what happened was the next time that there was a little dip in the business, we thought back to that and thought, God can do anything. Go ahead, God. What do you want me to do this time? Give away my house? Let's do it. Joy wasn't on board with that one. But, uh, but our faith should be scaring us sometimes, church. Like we say we believe it. There's a lot of scary things in this thing. If you're really going to walk it out, there's, living for him is not just a cakewalk. It's about putting your money where your mouth is. And I know that's what you guys want too, and I believe that. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. After I pray, Kel and Jess are going to come up and close us out, so please don't leave. But I just want you to, to receive this prayer this morning, church. If you really want your belief to grow, your faith in God to grow, and I believe we do, you wouldn't be here today if you didn't. I'm going to ask you as we pray, just to, as a sign of surrender to God and asking God, if you're comfortable with it, just raise your hands as we pray just to receive this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, we come to you this morning, this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you, that we can enter boldly into your throne room of grace because of what you did for us, Jesus. Lord, we want to believe more. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. God, but we want to believe it more. I pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would grow our faith. And Lord, that you would help us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. That we would not wallow in disappointment. That we would not wallow in not being able to feel you. And that we would not become lackadaisical in our walk, but that we would strive to be desperate for you, God. Oh, Jesus, we need you in such a powerful way in our lives, Lord. Lord, let that verse that says, that in you we live and move and have our being, let that verse be our mantra. Let it resonate in our hearts, God, where we would know that without you we can't do anything. And God, I pray that our life would reflect our belief in you. That our life would reflect our belief in you and who you are and what you've done for us. And as we celebrate you in this Christmas season of you coming to earth, as a little baby to come and redeem all of mankind back to you, God. We're so, so thankful. Lord, we want to give you our lives. God, help us to push our flesh out of the way, to push doubt out of the way. As we walk through the halls of doubt, Lord, that we would enter those rooms of truth and we would see you for who you are. God, we give you our lives. We give you everything that we are. You're the only one worthy of it. Thank you that we can trust you with everything in our life. We give you all the praise, all the glory. And everyone said, amen, amen, God bless.